discovered it must be told <laughs> from beginning to end. Now, here's a little story I got to tell. tell, tell. Here is a story about music. Stories about songs, cool keys, Godfather Don, and Dan the Automator. I first heard Cool Keith in 1986. Once again on WNUR, they played uh, Eagle Trippin'. Eagle Trippin' wasn't Ultra's first 12 inch, just the first one I heard, and probably the first. A lot of people heard as other stuff earlier was a little more under the radar. Eagle Trippin' when they start to make an impact because it's just such a great record. Just advanced production sound of how they were using sampling with said G and Keyboard Money Mike. Then the rhyming style of Cool Keith and Seji, and them even starting it off kind of questioning some of the more basic styles of rhyme. Cool Keith, and you simple back and forth, the same old rhythm that a baby can pick up and join right with them, but the rhymes are pathetic. They think they go pathetic using nursery terms, at least not poetic on it. And so it was just like, oh, let me tune my ears into what they're doing but even though that's how i first heard cool keith i had actually saw cool keith for the first time in january of 1985 i just didn't know for many years uh later in the the 90s or whatever that that was cool keith because he was a popper with the new york city breakers for president reagan's inauguration campaign message to minority voters take 37 to present the excitement of youth the sights and the sounds of a big city here are new york city breakers so i saw him there you know he was just one of the dope dancers on stage is all i knew but i later learned that one of those people was cool keith Getting back into Ultra, you know, after Ego Trip, and I was just tuned in and curious for what else they might have in store. And so then the next couple of 12 inches even further grabbed my attention, like funky. But the one that really solidified it, Mentally Mad, B-side track. Way that beat is just so raw the, the scratches seem like they're they're probably a tad bit too loud but perfectly too loud and then just the way both cool keith and Seji sound on the mic was just like this is an innovation this is this is a style that they are owning for themselves and i was really impressed by that and, and then when the album came out this critical beat down great 
album title, uh, a very eye-catching album cover, and then I, I, my favorite song on the album is a Cool Keith solo, When I Burned. It's like, that's perfection, just the way he rides the beat, and he uses his words, just, it really showcases what makes Keith great to me. Yo, cool Keith, man, hook this beat up just for you in the Ultra Lab, man. So I want you to dog it, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, man, so ease back, you know, kick the limits, man. Word up. All right, do it, man, right now. All right. Well, I'm on with the freaky style. Will you wait, debate, and rate my rhythm expansion, dimension, lyric extension, rise above amazing days. But also, Sedgy's solo, uh, Delta Force One, feeling it. The title track is the drums on that one. It's one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. Uh, without a doubt, it comes up for a lot of people. It's on their list. But at the time, not everyone really embraced it. I think that it gained more traction over time. Because, I mean, personally in my circle, you know, I was down with some people who were hip-hop fans. We were making music together, but they didn't like Ultra. Ultra Magnetic. I think they just thought the, the lyrics were nonsense and they just... They didn't get it. And so like to the point where I remember there was one time we were like, you know, hanging out uh, at the school and then they were like being annoying, picking on me or something. And so when we got in the car, I, I put in the Ultra tape because I knew they didn't like it. Ultra Magnetic. And they like really got upset. <laughs> like, like listening to Ultra was punishment for them. So not, not everyone was a fan, you know, around me. I'm not sure how it was in other places, but some people around me didn't get it. But at the same token, some people around me were really hardcore fans, maybe even more hardcore fans than I was, which is, you know, I was pretty hardcore. But like Jaybird and K-Body from Underground Solution were also huge Ultra fans. Actually, I learned about the B-side chorus line from K-Body. So they were like so good with doing new music and B-sides and remixes. We had our like our a network of friends who were like Ultra Ultra fans, me, Bird, and K-Bodies keep each other in tune with what was happening in Ultra World. And it was inspiring what they were doing on so many levels. And so here we are now, years later, that impacting first album and all those singles. And then in you are to the rescue once again. 89.3 WNUR I'm driving to my guy Spo's house. Spo was one of the MCs I'm working with, you know, around this time. He had a place with this guy, uh, DJ Art. He's like his first DJ. They'd make these little home demos in this apartment they lived in, in Holland Park. And so I'm driving there and listening to WNUR, and lo and behold, they play a brand new Ultra Magnetics 12-inch single for an upcoming album. Uh, make it happen. I'm so free. 
fresh, so fresh, better than the rest, yo, is that true? Does a dog have four legs, two eyes, a tongue and a mouth? Think about it, mm. And I hear it right there on NUR for the first time. And I went and sought that record out immediately. I was like, okay, Ultra's back. That was like an exciting moment to know that this abstract group actually was going to have another chance to put more music out there. And so I remember like this actually this is this picture that I really like. And it's a picture of me sitting back in the studio cleaning that record. You can see the cover on the ground. Cause like that was a record I really valued, like Ultra's back. And so that was this, you know, the power of Ultra to me. And so when the album came out, Flunk Your Head Up, it definitely wasn't a letdown, but it didn't hit me in the same way the critical beatdown did. But I also even then realized that was an unreal expectation. Critical beatdown was just so amazing to even expect that again, it wouldn't even be fair to put that on anyone. Yes, yes, y'all, and you don't stop. You're listening to the sounds of the best MC in the world. World. But Funk Your Head Up does have some great moments. So I love MC Champions. MC Champions. Ultra Magnetic. Bust the facts. Just the, the, the hearing Cool Keith just come down, bring it down to earth for real, and show that no, I can really just rhyme and be dope. I just that's not what I usually want to do. But he proves that he can, giving one of the best ever hip hop history lessons on a song. I got a fly in my hand, bam, bottle with cold crush. The place is packed with Johnny. And then you have plucking cards where he's calling out the competition. And I'll kill anyone who dares to go against me. So Cool Keith is in rare form on this album. Even though it's not to me as impacting as a whole as Critical Beatdown, there's like some really, really great moments. TR Love has a great verse on there. It's got some moments. You know, Sedgy is still doing his thing. And I'm a Sed fan as an MC as well. And, he, and he's sharp on the album as well. So the album is tight. And it's funny because I actually didn't personally own the album back then. Because at the time, I was living with my, my, my guy, Black Man Zeke. So it's like, why buy the same album twice? So if he bought something, I just buy the other, the other thing that he didn't buy and vice versa. So when he already got Ultra, I was like, okay, we got a copy of Ultra in the household. So I never really got it. But then there's this local record store in um, Lake County in Waukegan, uh, Gardeners. They had two locations at one point. And the guy, the owner, Gardner, called like a local meeting for local DJs. He wanted to uh, kind of like talk about a DJ coalition or something like that. I forget the exact details. We called this meeting for DJs. I remember going there. I remember like it was some of the the real names of power DJs at the time, like Captain Too Fresh, like the number one top DJ of the area. He was there, like standing right next to me. And um, Bird was there. I'm pretty sure Bird was there too. And I was there as a promoter more than a DJ, even though I dabbled at that point. But I remember standing there for that meeting in Gardner's and this kind of like, there was a point where he was saying something I really wasn't 100% agreeing with. So I was kind of like, 
processing what I felt about it. So I was kind of drifting off. And then as I drift off, there was like, you know, in the back in the record store, this kind of rack almost hiding in the back. And I was like, is that Ultra Magnetics funk your head up on vinyl? And I had to like break away from the meeting for a second and go over there and pick it up and be like, this is Ultra Magnetics funk your head up on vinyl. I didn't think I'd ever find this on vinyl. And so that's how I got the vinyl and finally have my own personal copy of Funk Your Head Up. So it was, you know, it was a big deal. And then they came with the Papa Large remixes with beat miners and went to the West Coast to get DJ Pooh to get down and gave some more flavor. They gave that song a whole new life because it was a song that was cool on the album, but then became a monster on the 12-inch. And then you heard the Stretch Armstrong show and Bob Beto and Cool Keith just down there bugging out. He's rhyming, not, not even rhyming, just talking in rhythm, counting in rhythm. Just, just being a character and sometimes coming down there with Godfather Don who's showing like really great off the head skills and just having fun. Bobito. What's up, Cookie? House of, uh, you know. Anyway, what's up, Keith? Tell him if anybody got any records to mail out tonight, the mailman is coming by their house. They can mail the records down tonight. Tonight, all right. Cool. You don't have to get on a train. Just mail your records down. All right. Thanks a lot, Keith. For that important information. <laughs> Yo, let's get. <laughs> um, we, you know, we just up here bugging. We gonna, we gonna get into some more things later on. So you were getting that ultra experience and then getting this like radio experience with just cool Keith unedited. Yeah, so it was just a lot of things about all that. So when I heard about them signing for the next deal, so now you, you learned about how like it kind of speaks to like their innovation because labels didn't know what to do with them. You know, they're signed to the Next Plateau, they're signed to then a major. So a major's like, okay, there's something there. We know there's something there. So a major's trying to get in, but they can't figure out how to make it work. And now they're back on like the 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 king of the independence, the king of the A&Rs who knows how great rap music sounds at Wild Pitch, right? And so I wanted to work with that. And so I worked that Four Horsemen record, which I, it's a great record. I, can, I would consider that the true follow-up to Critical Beatdown. Not even, like again, not even to like say anything negative about Funky Head Up, because I love that album, but it's just, it's them stepping off into something a little different, where I feel like, you know, Four Horsemen comes back to like, okay, let's get back to what we started with, with Critical Beatdown. I mean, with songs like Raise It Up, that which is a, a Godfather Don production, who kills it with the last verse, right? Ladies and gentlemen, live from Flatbush, Brooklyn, I bring to you tonight the Godfather Dog from the office. The barrel of a gun is no fun, so for some I run for pump and flip like a ton of young dragon with the force of consent. 
You just bring it down to earth. Don't be scared. Yo, Black. We are the Horsemen. Of course, the title track. The Black Baseball Tribute. 1212, of course, from the B-side of the first, uh, first single. That album is really good. The third album, Nick Ultra came back, like, to make sure you understood what Ultra was about. And that's actually an album I would love to own the instrumentals. Just to listen to those instrumentals in full without the great rapping. Let me just focus on the grand instrumentals. 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 There's actually unreleased songs from this time. They actually did a lot of stuff. And I don't know if they ever put them out on those like basement tapes. Or they, I know they put out a lot of like demos over time. But, um, you know, once when I went to the Wild Pitch office, you know, and like, you know, there was Mark, you know, my guy, DJ Clips was there working. So I would, go, and I, so I would kick it, you know, talk on the phone to those guys like Mark Genova and Eclipse. And then when I would go to New York, get to kind of build with them some more, too. And I remember this one time I went over there um, to New York in the office around the time of this album, like right before, right, right after it came out. And they were like, yeah, these these kind of songs that they didn't make the album. They played a few for me. At least two of them, I think, were like Seji solo songs. And he was doing that that kind of like robotic style on that album, which I thought was dope. It was like, is it something different? But I think they were worried that over too much of it would be be too much. So they cut some of those songs off the album. But there's a few other gems. They had like this uh, song critiquing a, a very famous radio DJ. Then um, they had like some choice words for that didn't make the album. So they had some like some gems that didn't even come out on the album. And I'm talking about, you know, on the last episode about that show at the Oak Theater. And even like for Don, before seeing him at Oak Theater and hearing him down with Ultra, I don't think I recognized it right away, but I was new about Don and I was curious because if he was in a few magazine ads in the source because he had an album on Select a few years prior, that's like 91. And I believe they would have ads in there for uh, Homicide. So I would see the ads and I would be like, okay, I want to just... Godfather Don, like what a name and homicide. Okay, that sounds like I need to take a listen to what that is. And even there was like the source was like voting this compilation they were like coming out, like sending your demos or rare demos or you know, I can't remember what they were calling it, but they had a compilation they were putting out. And at some point when it was like the compilation was about to drop, they did a posting of the track listing, and I'm pretty sure. Godfather Don's Homicide was listed on the track listing. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy this compilation. But then I never found out how to buy the compilation. And I don't think it came out. Try to hit up John from on the source. And he was like, he's like, he couldn't even remember off the top of his head what it was. And he thought maybe if he was remembered correctly, it got released in some kind of small way, but not in any big way. So I don't know for sure how it came out. But the point is, I never heard Don back then. I don't think. Maybe I heard a song on the radio. I think I was more just curious and didn't really get to hear him until the Ultra stuff. But around the time of the Four Horsemen, around this time or right after, was a local guy in Chicago, Mark Davis, local entrepreneur. He was doing a few different things. He's owned record labels. He's DJ. He's just appreciator of lyrics, promoter of shows, you know, just a, a renaissance man. And he was working with this group called Mind Space. And I had, me and Jaber had caught in the middle magazine. We would request people to send in their demos for our demo section. And they sent in Mind Space. And we wrote about Mind Space because it was a dope demo. And it's produced 
by TR Love and Ultra Magnetic MC. So we got a connection with Ultra. And so when we would talk, he would tell me some stories about Ultra. I remember this one thing that's always been in my head and I've been bugging him about it forever. He said he still has it. Is this freestyle tape with um I think it's Scott the Rock on the turntables and Cool Keith and KRS freestyling on the mic. And um, you know, he's the one that kind of told me more stories and gave me more context to like said G being the uncredited producer on Criminal Minded. So that was how I got I heard the rumors and, and, and spoken about in whispers in the hip hop folklore. He's the one that kind of gave me some like insight on that when we would talk. So he was giving me a close connection because I met Keith, you know, already, but he had a connection. So it was like, it was the strengthening the connection with Ultra, basically. And so, um, you know, because later on, he started a record label Black Pegasus and he released some rare Ultra demos um, and some including some stuff from the group MF911, who has some sexy production on their um, debut album in the early 90s. And he, you know, released some other Chicago stuff on that label, Black Pegasus. And for some of that, I actually helped provide some of the audio of my demo collection. Like, and I can't remember which ones, but I think for the Fully G, the Steady Serve, and maybe for the Easter Rock, I'm not sure, but definitely for the Steady and Fully G. And all those came out through Mark Davis, who's just been a guy doing a lot for hip hop in general, but specifically uh, based in Chicago doing his thing there. And so sometime back then, he had threw a show, I believe, at the Prop House, and he brought Cool Keith out to perform, and uh, a group east of the Rock opened up. I can rock a rally from Philly to Cali and back at the Mecca, Mac 10 and the Fader. Spitting more flavors than the now, even later, even greater than the greatest. Cassius Clay couldn't fade us. Yeah, powerful. And that's how I really learned about East of the Rock. He invited me to do a merch table out there. And so I did had a merch table and went to this show. East of Rock was dope. And that's how I'm, I'm still a hardcore East of the Rock fan. You know, they never put out nothing widespread. They had some rare vinyl. They put out, only came out with just the white label versions of it, promo copies of it. And then they had like a demo tape that I got my hands on back then. And then I got more stuff like, you know, just like nine or ten years ago checking down the mad thinker from east of the rock so i'm a big fan and that's how i learned about him at this cool keith show and then cool keith i think for that whole show he probably just 94 percent of it just freestyled improvised he just wasn't trying to do songs you know if he threw on the beats he was like i'm just gonna rap and he just rapped and it was just like it was like really entertaining and then later on that same trip i think we went back to mark's place we were hanging out, and I, and I think I interviewed Keith there, and then I talked to him because I had caught in the middle of magazine, and I was like, man, I, will, I would like you to write something. For, I don't know, I was, it, was, it was just like a moment. I was like, I want you to write something for the magazine. I'm going to give you a column in the magazine. He was like, yeah, I'll do that. And he wrote the Rhythm X Files. He just hand wrote it on some like um, yellow, you know, yellow legal paper. He wrote the extra rhythm X files. He only did it for the one issue, but you know, we plan to keep it going, but it's like we got we missed the contact for the second issue or something. But 
we, you know, I, I was happy in my magazine. I had a uh, cool Keith as one of the one of the writers. And then not only that, you know, I stayed in touch with him. We would do regular, semi-regular phone calls, me and Keith or me and Don. And even when I had, I, for a while, I had a, a hip hop hotline, my Rage hip hop hotline, where you could call up the hotline and hear about what were the shows were happening in Chicago, um, what new releases were coming out. I would call different record labels and get release dates. And so I had this hotline that I would just talk about new music and uh, upcoming events and stuff like that in Chicago. And then I would get artists to do like freestyles to like, you know, to have something special. So Cool Keith did a freestyle for me. Please leave a message after the tone. Check it out. Same old styles I ever heard before. One, two, one, two. Check it out as I go through. I'm super dope, superb, like Kane said. You all be brain dead. So check it out one time like I'm freaking This is something I never told on anybody, but I had my phone answer machine connected to my four track so I could use it for these the hotline or whatever. I was like, you know what, let me try to get this better quality. I'm gonna hook the phone up to my 8-track. And so I hooked it up to my 8-track, I called Don. I was like, let me call Don. I, I'm, I'm doing my, my first 8-track freestyle with Godfather Don. We've been talking about doing it for the, for, for a few weeks or whatever. So I called Godfather Don and I'm like, yo, you know, Don, what you doing right now? He's like, no, I'm working on this beat. He's like, I just actually I just finished this beat and the beat's playing. The beat is, I don't think this song ever came out. Or maybe it just I didn't recognize it, but I just don't feel like I've heard that beat again. Cause I remember the beat being like, man, I really want to hear this. I want to buy this when this comes out. You know, is what I'm thinking. And like, so he has. I just made this beat. And he's like, I'm just he's like, I can tell he's in the zone. I'm like, this is perfect. He's like, I want I cause you to do that freestyle for me. He's like, can I do it to this beat? And I was like, yeah, just let the beat play. And it's one of those things where it's not fair to say, cause I can't prove it to you, but. It was like, I feel like it was the best. And I heard a bunch of Don freestyles. I'm like, I feel like it was like one of the best, if not the best freestyle I've heard from Don. He just like went into a zone. And I was like, yo, he is killing it. But I didn't hook it up correctly and it didn't record. (laughs) When Don was done, he felt so good about it. He was like, Yo, yeah, I blacked out. Sorry I went for so long. He's like, you got it? I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, it was dope, man. I got it. Because <laughs> I wasn't at that point, I wasn't sure yet. It's just that when I he when he had stopped, I had looked and I didn't I said, like, wait, I don't see any like, you know, levels. Like, why is there no levels? Like maybe it's just, uh, you know it's a technicality. Maybe it recorded, but I didn't see the levels. But yeah, for whatever reason it didn't record it. Like and I didn't have the heart, once I figured that, I didn't have the heart to tell him ever, like, Don, it didn't record because he was like, yeah, that, he's like, I gave you, like, I, that was dope. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was, but they got lost. It's a Don Lost freestyle. Anyway, so I had them call my hotline. I had like them. I had uh, Pudgy the Fat Bastard do a freestyle, Curious, Coolio. So it was just like I have these freestyles on this hotline. 
So anyway, kind of getting back to this, but I, oh yeah, in, in, in putting this together, I was going through my notes to see if I could find anything to give more context. And I found some old um, notes from like in May of 94 is when he does the hotline, the hotline freestyle, Cool Keith. And he, I write down that we talked for like an hour and a half. And he, in that day, uh, Cool Keith asked for my address. He was just sending me some, some rarities. And I'm pretty sure that's when he sent me the Cutmaster Kurt demos. When he went out west and did the Cutmaster Kurt. The songs that didn't come out for a long time. You know, I had them. So this is back in like 95 or something. And they didn't come out like 94, 95. But they didn't come out until like years later as Sex Styles. You know, some of the songs. I don't think, I think there's still someone there I have like, like I don't know, big eyes, but... They came out later on something else of like some other compilation. But they were, I had them for years and years by the time they actually came out because he had sent them to me in May of 94. And like, you know, he gave me his address because he wanted me to mail him some stuff. It's funny, he, it's funny because he was like, gave me a whole long speech about, he's like, I'm looking for Das Effect's first album on cassette and I can't find it anywhere in New York. Like, I really want to have that album on cassette. And he's like, can you find it in Chicago and mail it to me? I was like, I will find Das Effects <laughs> Dead Serious and mail it to you in New York so you can have, you know, so you can have it. I remember I, I, I tried to find that tape. I think I got the tape and sent it to him, but I sent him some Chicago demos at the same time. And they were like, we're going to connect. You know, I mailed those to him. And then I was going to New York not too long after that, you know, months later. And so I went to New York and, and this was at the New Music Seminar in 94. You know, I was down there because, you know, Grab was there. Uh, uh, Rob Free and Judgmental from Kinetic Order were there because they, you know, they all of them were in the in the battle with Judgmental end up being the winner. Zeke was there because he was there with Grab because they were Indigenous Theory and they were doing part of a showcase with the Fly Paper. I was there because I was the staff writer for the Fly Paper and we were doing this release party and that was a whole other story. So. You know, we're all there for this thing. And at that one point, I'm at, like, the hotel where the seminar is held. And I'm, like, in, like, this, like, you know, cypher with, like, um, Jamalski. And I can't remember who else was there. Like, Premier, I just had walked by or something like that. And then um, I see Cool Keith. And, like, as soon as he recognizes me, he just goes, Rubber Room, Rubber Room, Rubber Room, because I had sent him some Chicago demos and he just started chanting one of the hooks from one of the Rubber Room demos I sent him. And he was like, yo, that, that Rubber Room is dope. And so I was like, okay, Cool Keith gets it, like what they're trying to do. So that made me feel real good to be a go tell those guys later, yo. Cool Keith digs what y'all doing is rubber room. So, you know, that was just like just the kind of connection that I have with Keith. You know, just like we would just talk about hip hop and lyrics and what we both appreciated and whatever. And that was kind of similar to what I would do with like me and Don. Like I even once went to New York on something else. And I just hooked up with Don. I called him and we met by like this pizza. I think he was co-owner or owner of this pizza place. He said I had to go check on the, he, he had to go check on his business and meet him at this pizza place.
and so we made this pizza place he went in there did something so i think he might have been owner of a pizza place sometime or something like that or whatever maybe i misconstrued what that was but um we hung out for a minute talked about rap and just kicked it you know me and don so we stayed in touch for a while too i mean like even like he would like let me know about projects and even things he told me about there's things that he we talked about like yeah he's working on these demos of things that never dropped even in all these demo like things have come out there's a song that i don't know that song like i don't care ever dropped that i heard before from a bobito tape but even he like you know him and keith had the project agents of chaos and i don't know if that ever got came out under a different name or something but i remember him telling about the agents of chaos project just keep me in post of what he was doing and the people like knew that i had like a, a connection i remember even like virtuoso who was down with, like the rebel alliance out of boston he had hit me up because i went to boston and, and interviewed all those guys so he had knew me from that and he hit me up like yo i really want to do a song produced by godfather dawn and maybe even him having rhyme on it he's like can you maybe try to put me in contact so i remember putting don in contact with virtuoso i don't know whatever happened i mean i never heard a song so i guess it never got done for whatever reason but i remember that was something i was like i think that would sound dope virtuoso and godfather don unfortunately i don't i don't think it ever happened i remember even like like i said i had cool keith as a writer run caught in the middle so was godfather don he interviewed bobito for me i was like you know you i saw the chemistry they had on the radio and, you know, when when this Don would go down there and visit, him and Bob would just, like, bug out. And I was like, he'll get something out of Bobito that I won't get because Bobito will be more loose. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have ask Don to do it. And Don was down to do it. He's like, well, yeah, that'd be, that'd be tight to write. So, so yeah, so I, I like the idea. One of the things I like about, you know, what I was doing with Caught in the Middle is I wanted to use, like, artists as writers to get that kind of, that perspective in the writing which I, I know there's like pros and cons to that but it was one of the things that i wanted to do to kind of balance out traditional writers for caught in the middle that's a little little side story but anyway like i mentioned keith mentioned me uh sending me those Cubmaster kurt demos and my memory gets a little fuzzy here but i think i'm pretty sure like through him sending me those demos the number on the tape or something was Cubmaster kurt so I wound up talking to Kurt through that, I believe, is how I first met Cubmaster Kurt. And then I believe it was Kurt who called me one day and was like, hey, my guy is coming out there to visit. He's going to be, you know, somewhere around Chicago. He has family out there he's visiting. He's like, you know, I was trying to find someone to, you know, show him around Chicago, connect with him. He's a local producer, DJ out here who's doing some dope stuff. And he's working on a project with Cool Keith. He's like, you know, you know, are you down to connect with him? I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. You're like, you know, give me the information, give my number and tell him to call me in town and, you know, I'll, I'll connect, do whatever. And so this dude comes to town, we connect and um, we agree we're going to go do like deep dish pizza on you know, the Chicago thing and and kick it and talk about music. And this person is Dan the Automator. And so he had family out there in a suburb of Chicago. And so we were just like, that's how I met Dan the Automator. We're kicking it. And he's telling me about this project he's working on with Cool Keith, which is Dr. Octagon. He had just finished this project and had a promo tape. This is probably a, at least a year before it came out. I mean, it seems like a long time. It, it was, I'd say a minimum six to eight months 
before it came out, but I think it was a year or more before it came out. And it, it maybe just felt like forever because it was like no one else had it. And it was like maybe that slow time. <laughs> so, but also like at the same time, because he had that, he had played me like, it's also some songs I did with Keith that didn't really fit this style, this record. So they aren't on the album. I don't know what we're going to do with them. He's like, cool, Keith wants to take them back to use for his own project he's doing. But I kind of want to keep them for something else. So we haven't decided what to do with these songs. So he, but he played them for me. And they were um, uh, King of New York and It's Over Now. And then those songs didn't come out till like, man, like seven years after I heard them. Something like that. Like something, yeah, like many years after I heard them. I think that was like 94, 95. And I was like 94. And so I don't think I heard those didn't come out to like yeah i feel like years later it was a while it was definitely a while later i would say so i had this early dr optagon tape that really no one else had he only had he's like i only had a few of these but i'm gonna give it to you because whatever you know he talked to kurt and thought i was a person that'd be good to get the tape to but it's a caught in the middle and other stuff so that's how i met dan he went back we stayed in touch Fast forward to now when I know the album is finally about to drop. I'm happy to be in New York and I end up connecting with LP because I heard a couple of songs on, I got, I would get tapes of the Stretch Armstrong show. And when I would hear songs that I did, I, that I was curious about, I want to know because I learned that Bobito worked at Def Jam. I, I think I just called, it was like, can I speak to Bobito? And so I just started, I would call and talk to Bobito and ask him about songs. He played on the show, and then once in a while, he would connect me with the artist directly. And LP was one of those guys he connected me with. So when I went to New York, we agreed to meet, and we hung out. I hung out with them at their apartment, met Big Just. I ended up, the person I went there with ended up, ended up abandoning me. And I ended up actually just staying with Company Flow at their place. And so in that process, he had just got the very first, you know, not the Fun Crusher plus the album, but just the Fun Crusher EP. They had just finished recording that, and he and he got the tape from the studio, like the reference tape for himself. So he was like showing me that, and we were listening to this tape. The like he had like like two copies, like him and just had a copy, I believe. And you know, I remember he took me around for a walk around his neighborhood. I got to, that's how you know I, that's how I thought. I think I met Paradise from X Clan, you know, in '91 when they were doing an autograph signing. But you know, it was it was just like they were signing autographs, and I was there as a fan. But LP took me to the studio that they ran, and I got to meet them officially, meet Paradise there, you know, of the X Clan and many more things, Latin Quarters. So just kicking it with Company Flow, and anyway, he somehow talking. I mentioned that I had the Doctor Octagon, and by now, like I said, it's about to come out. People's ads for it, people are talking about it. It's it's known throughout, you know, the hip hop that this thing is coming. He was really like, I want to hear Dr. Octagon. So we actually worked out a trade because I you know, I was like, okay, now I can do this because I know it's about to come out. So he traded me his copy of Fun Crusher for me to make him a dub Dr. Octagon. And so I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a hard offer to pass up. They'd be the, one of the only people to have a copy of this, this great EP. I can go play it on the radio first, you know, in the world. You know what I'm saying? One of the first in the world, if not the first in the world, like me and Bobito or whoever he gave the other tape to. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take that to have the second so be like, you know, one of the first play this record. I played him some stuff from Chicago that he wanted to dub. I remember particularly he he responded well to um, the Immortal Griffin, this song called Enough is Enough. 
Microphone mutilation is the method to my madness Mischievous is my soul, MC's expressions be the saddest When I unload, my mind's accumulated stress and rain thunder I b-boy wonder blasting marks, I put toys underneath the soil Approximation, six feet, I've given maggots enough to eat forever Plus three weeks simple uh, LP was like, oh, this is, it made, me, it made me a dub of that too So I, I gave him that, a couple other Chicago things So that was like how I was connecting with all these things were kind of intersecting, cool Keith you know, Godfather Don, Leading to Dan, Cutmaster Kurt, and Company Flow. There's a lot was happening, a lot with all this underground stuff. And just keeping back with Dan, you know, he went on after Dr. Octagon do all this amazing career as a producer, remixes, you know, side projects like Handsome Boy Modeling School and just different things. It's like he's just a, a creative force with his own like album, uh, A Much Better Tomorrow, work with the Gorillas, Deltron 3030, you know, and then he also was part of the label 75 Arc in the like early 2000s, you know, where like you know leads us basically to the next episode because there was like a lot of great talent on that label and we're talking about yeah a few artists in this season of the show who were on 75 arc you know with the coup anti-pop consortium and of course dan the automator so yeah so we'll just kind of pick it up there next episode stories about stories songs about stories songs about songs about That's my story, that's my story, mmm. 95th of Stony Island Avenue, 95th of Stony Island.